Tom said this morning, we will be in Joshua 2, so if you want to find that spot in your iPad or Bible or whatever you have with you today, we're going to be looking at Joshua 2 this morning. Um, but I want to begin this morning with a question and um, have you begin thinking about something. If you uh, have a... Um, hang on a second here. There we go. You might want to... I want to encourage you to turn your program over, even if you've got a pen. And, and I want you to look at this question, and I want you to begin thinking about the question of, you know, what do you want? What do you want as you sit here this morning? What is it that you want? Now, I know as we first start asking a question like that, you know, our mind probably goes to beginning with, well, what would ease my life circumstances the quickest? <laughs> you know, what is that thing? Is there financial pressure? What I want is just to relieve that. Um, maybe there's some sort of relational conflict, and you're like, I just want to resolve that issue. Um, you know, of course, for those who are getting ready to take finals this week, right, you just want them to be over. Just get it over with. Uh, be done. Of course, you want to do well on them, too. Um, what do you want? What, what is it that's going on in your life that you say, I just want this. I, I want this. Now, I also want to challenge you this morning to think a little bit deeper about what you want, meaning it's easy to think of circumstantial changes and say, if my circumstances could change, if only this could be different, I think my life would be better. But I want you to, to go a little deeper than that, and I want you to be thinking um, maybe there's a, a deeper place in you where you're thinking about some character changes, and you're saying, man, I wish I was different in this way. Maybe you're looking at, I wish I handled things maybe differently. Maybe you look at uh, a bad habit you have or, or an addiction or maybe anger rises up quickly and you feel trapped often by this thing and you say, man, I just want relief. I want to be free from this. I want to, to get out of this situation and I, I wish I was a different person. So as you think about what do you want, I want to then ask a second question, and that question is, do you think God cares? Do you think God cares about what you want? Or is God caught up in his own business and trying to keep the universe from somehow exploding? Is God busy? Where are you at with that this morning? Do you, do you think God cares? Do you think God cares about what you want? Or do you think he's kind of like, hey, toughen up. I don't care what you want. Just, you know, get tougher. Make it through. Kind of like the way I treat my kids, you know. (laughs) I don't care what you want. Well, as we turn to Joshua 2 this morning, um, Joshua 1 ended last week. And where it ended was the Israelites were preparing themselves to go into Jericho to begin the conquest, to take the promised land. And they had sworn allegiance to God and to Joshua saying, we will do whatever it takes. We want to be used as instruments of God to deliver the promised land to our people after wandering 40 years. And then what happens here in Joshua 2 is interesting to me, because 
in many ways, it doesn't fit and it doesn't even have to be here. <laughs> if you were to read Joshua 1 and then skip 2 and just read 3, it all of the story still makes sense. God is in process of delivering his people into the promised land, a covenant he made with Abraham. And it's getting ready to happen. And then we have Joshua 2. I'm going to read Joshua 2 here this morning. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up to them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Now, we could read chapter 2, and and this is how I would summarize uh, Joshua chapter 2, with this statement. It's kind of the, we need the news sounder, and we need, we interrupt this conquest to bring you a message about God's extravagant love for outcasts. That's what this passage is about, God's extravagant love for outcasts. And you know what? We're all outcasts. That's why this narrative, this story is here in Joshua, to remind us that God is interrupting, delivering his people into the promised land because he wants to deliver somebody else and free them and rescue them from their life. And so if you're familiar with this story, I want you to try to, as best you can, erase that familiarity from your minds and read this narrative with fresh eyes and look at this story because there are some major things that would have stood out to the Hebrew reader, to the person who would have first read this story after it had been written down, the, the, the Israelites, the Hebrew reader would read this story, and there'd be some really amazing things that would jump out at a Hebrew reader that maybe don't jump out at us in our culture so much today. Uh, the first thing is happens at the end of verse 1. We have the first clue what's going to happen is something unusual because we don't get the name of the spies, but we do get the name of a prostitute. We find out that this harlot's name is Rahab. Now, to the astute Hebrew reader the writer already has their attention. <laughs> okay, Joshua is sending these spies out. These, you know, these are covert guys, and then he doesn't tell us who they are. We don't have any idea. Wait a second. There's a woman named Rahab who's a prostitute. Whoa, <laughs> what is this story about exactly? It would jump out at him. It would jump out and say, so you're going to tell us a story not only about Rahab, a woman, but a woman who was a prostitute, and begin to ask this question about she's living in this immoral environment, 
among people that worship other gods. And this story moves quickly. We don't get the name of the king either who comes to her. We don't know who the Canaanite king is. Who, who is this person? All we have is this woman, Rahab. So the first seven verses of this story are given to us in quick succession, and they lay out for us the hero. Rahab is really the hero of this story. We have Rahab risking her life for these men. Again, highly unusual story, and we have to begin asking the question, you know, what is going on here? What is God trying to communicate about himself? What is he trying to communicate about us? And so when we look at the background of Jericho this time and this woman Rahab, we know that she's a prostitute, though some commentators have tried to get around that and uh, say, well, it meant something different in that culture. But what's interesting is I think that's basically commentators trying to grasp at straws because we have in the New Testament, when she is brought up again by the writer of Hebrews and by James, both times, Rahab the prostitute. It's very clear that that's what's going on in her life. And so we know that that's a label that she has, a label that really follows her throughout history. We also know that she seemed to run some sort of an inn, probably, um, because the spies show up there, again, probably was known to be a place that wasn't uh, very reputable, and some think the spies were a good place to hide. <laughs> um, but she seems like she was running this in, and also we see that she is running a, a business as well where she has flax drying out on the roof. She was running a business, it seems, of uh, making cloth of some sort. And so the culture, though, she lived in was this Amorite culture, and it was a culture that worship false gods in, in very extreme ways. They worshiped a God who wanted people to sacrifice their children. That was one of the gods this culture worshiped. They also worshiped gods that were all about fertility, and so prostitution and immorality was rampant in this culture. And as the old adage goes, as gods go, so the people go, really applied to the Amorite people here. They were a people that were involved in all this lascivious behavior, and these types of things were very much a part of their culture at the time. And so if you look at Genesis 15, 16, it's, it, this has been really prophesied as uh, Abraham, um, when he was given the covenant, it, and he was told, well, you're not going to actually go in the land yourself. In fact, God tells him what's going to happen. And then this is what he says, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Well, in Joshua 2, we now see that their sinful behavior has finally reached its full measure and it's time. And God says, this now is the time in history to fulfill the promise made to Abram. So the corruption had reached it, and this woman, Rahab, is in the midst of this. <clears throat> and I was kind of thinking about that. I mean, she in many ways was a product of the culture she lived in. And it can be easy for us sometimes to look at characters like Rahab and say, wow, what a terrible person. How could she ever get involved in something like that? And um, yet... As I was thinking about this, um, I started um, 
reading some people who had written on the life of Rahab. And um, here's a woman that I, I really, it struck my heart as I read what she said, and, it, and I want to read her statement to you because it um, helped me have compassion. And, and I think it's this compassion that we, we see here in God as well for, for Rahab. But here's what this woman says. She says, I was Rahab. The man that I was supposed to trust and show his little girl how her future husband should treat her betrayed and abused me, my father. I spent the next decade using men and being used to feel like I had some sort of control and power over the acts that had been taken in my childhood. I did realize in trying to hurt the one who hurt me, I was only hurting myself. I'm no longer using multiple men, but I'm living with someone out of wedlock and still trapped in the sin of putting a man above God. My Father in heaven, however, is gently and lovingly convicting me, and I'm beginning to make decisions to get my life back into his service and trust him to be the only man I need. You know, we all, like Rahab, are really a product of our environment, and many times the sin that we find ourselves trapped in is there because people have sinned against us. And yes, we still make choices in the midst of that. However, I think we can all see how the culture, the world, the people, the impact they have on us and how easy that can lead us to this place. And I think Rahab uh, was that person and found herself in this situation. But what's interesting about Rahab is it's not the end of her story. And she's taking action here. In fact, these first seven verses that we read really go at a fast clip. And they leave us with a lot of unanswered questions. A lot of them are unanswered here. And the questions that we might want to talk about when we read this are questions like, um, why did the spy stay with a prostitute? Um, you know, we're, we're not sure. Uh, another question is, you know, how were they discovered so quickly? How did the king discover who they were and where they were so quickly? We don't know. It doesn't tell us that. Why does Rahab immediately protect them? How does she know? To, and, and she jumps into this quick situation. That's how the story is written. And so it's really setting up the climax of the story, which we find in, in verse 8. And I, I don't want to read there. This is really where the Hebrew writer, the person telling this narrative about Rahab, is trying to lead us to this point. And it's found here in, in these next verses. It says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have now heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og and the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. 
what we have here is this amazing statement of faith coming out of the mouth of a woman who was living a life of prostitution, who was involved in all this stuff, was a deceiver, as we see, and yet she makes a statement of faith. And it is very similar to this statement that Moses makes in Deuteronomy 4.39, where he says, Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. And that's really what she says here in Joshua 2. She is acknowledging who God is. She has a faith that's real to her. She's making this statement about who God is, and she knows God can somehow protect her, that God can somehow deliver her too. She says, I know, we know how God has delivered you over and over again, your people. And she's saying, I believe that too. She's foregoing the gods that she grew up worshiping. And she's saying, I want to know your God. I want to be involved with your people. This is an amazing statement of faith. Rahab, who lived in a time of despair for her people, yet she was able to somehow see that there was hope if she was willing to believe in Israel. It's fascinating to me that the story of God had gone before him. And all the people in Jericho knew it. In fact, their hearts were melting in fear because they knew God was coming. But there's this one woman who hears these stories And she hears them in a different way. Instead of her heart melting in fear, she's drawn to this God. And she begins to believe. I'm struck by that. What was it about her? What was it that caused her to be able to do that? We look at Hebrews 11, chapter 1, it talks about faith this way. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Rahab had this kind of faith. She had confidence She couldn't see her deliverance. She couldn't see how she could be rescued. But she believed. She had confidence. She had hope that somehow this God of Israel was a different God than the God she had been worshiping. And she was drawn to this, and she believed somehow that she could be delivered from her life of sin, from from being, instead of being destroyed with all the other people in Jericho, she could be delivered. In fact, it's the writer of Hebrews who uses Rahab's faith as an example. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab's faith is is lifted up in the scriptures that this woman, Rahab, stands as evidence for us of salvation, of justification by faith. She believed when others did not. She chose the people of God and the God of Israel as her God. She dedicated her all to God, and she put her security, her faith, in this God, this God of Israel who would deliver her. 
It's interesting that James is writing about faith too. And this is my imagination, but James is sitting there thinking, hmm, I want to talk about faith, faith and works and how faith needs to be a working faith. And he's thinking, Who, what examples in history could I think of? <laughs> and it pops to his mind, I got an idea. Rahab the prostitute. <laughs> so this is what he says. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she, did, when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Her behavior here becomes an example when James is trying to think of a way to describe real faith. Rahab the harlot hid the spies. See, she wanted to be saved. She wanted salvation. When she heard about this God who was saving his people, who was delivering his people from all sorts of issues in their life through the Red Sea and now getting ready to deliver them into Jericho, she said, I want, I want to believe in that kind of God. I, I'm going to believe and I'm going to put confidence that somehow, some way, he's going to rescue me. So I want to go back to the question, what do you want? What, what is it that you want in your life? We see Rahab here is trapped in her life. She's in a real tough spot. Some of it's because people have sinned against her. Some of the early uh, rabbis who were writing on, on Rahab in the second century uh, there's these commentator things called the Midrash. They, some of them say she um, was entered, probably entered into her prostitution at the age of 10. Many people, as I studied her life, think that she was probably a very young child, and in some ways this was a, something that really, again, her father and got her involved in to make money and to provide. We don't know that for sure, but it's interesting that Forty years they had traveled out in the desert, and so she somehow knew what was going on. So she had to be alive during some of that journey and hear stories. We're not sure, but she found herself either way trapped, and she was continuing to make those bad choices. She continued the lifestyle. It was probably providing when she was trapped. But I want you to think about your own life. Where are you feeling trapped in your life? What are your addictions? Where are you at? that you say, man, I'm stuck here. I, I want to be free. I want to get free from this place, but I can't seem to get out. See, many times I believe it's our lack of faith, it's our lack of trust that keeps us from being saved or delivered from the stuff of life. And here is God beginning to deliver His chosen people into the promised land, and He takes time out to give a woman, a prostitute, a woman that wants deliverance from her past life of sin, he takes the time, because of his extravagant love, to care for her, to say, somehow he, he heard her. Somehow in the midst of what was going on, this one individual woman, God heard her heart calling out to him, saying, I believe, I believe. You see, faith is believing that God, the God who can do miracles, 
cares about you right now, where you are at in your life. It's believing that even though you can't see a way out right now, you keep waiting and you keep believing. You can't see the way out, but neither could Rahab. However, she was willing to believe and she took action as God led her. So as we turn to verse 17 then, we do begin to see the process that God is going to use to bring her out and to save her life. Verse 17, the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head and we will not be responsible As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. As early as the first century, commentators such as Clement of Rome, Justin Martyr, others saw in this scarlet cord a symbol, a symbol of the blood of Christ. Repent, evaluate your circumstances in a new way in the light of Christ is what this scarlet cord really represents. It's the blood. And the scarlet cord she hangs in her window becomes her path to deliverance. That when they come and attack the city, it's the scarlet cord that's the symbol And they know that's where we go get her. And Joshua 6, if you want to read the end of the story, that's what happens is they come and they rescue her because they see the scarlet cord. The only thing that can deliver you from whatever darkness you face is faith in Jesus Christ. Rahab somehow was able to see the blood of Jesus in her crimson robe because she heard what God had done and she chose to forsake her beliefs, the beliefs of her family, the beliefs of her people, and chose to believe, to put her faith in what God was doing. She left her own people and she gave herself to a new people. It's the same thing for us in our lives today. You too must leave your old people your old life, whatever is holding you back from being delivered. Again, do you refuse to believe? Do you refuse to admit that you need Jesus? Despite Rahab's desire, despite her faith, despite the promises of these spies, she would have perished unless she put her trust in that cord, that crimson cord that she put out her window. Rahab immediately put her faith into both the identification and safety of this scarlet cord. I think it's a great illustration of the blood of Jesus. And Joshua would be her Savior in the same way that Jesus is our Savior for those who trust Him. Rahab's destiny, we know, is told to us eventually in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, where she went on and married someone in the lineage of King David and became a relative of Jesus himself. 
Rahab has an amazing story to tell of a woman who believed, who put faith in God, was delivered, was rescued. And ultimately, it's by the blood of Christ. And I I want you this morning to begin thinking about where are you at when it comes to being delivered from your sin, from being rescued from the sin that is entangling your life that you're involved in. You also live in a corrupt culture. You also have been involved in a place where it's hard. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe in Jesus. It's hard to believe in the blood of Christ. I want to look at a couple of Scripture passages. It comes, first of all, from Romans 5, 9. It says, Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? And then again in Revelation 1, 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. When Rahab puts her faith in God, she changes her whole life. She joins a new people, the people of God, and uproots everything about her life. She's in, she's all in. It was her faith that began the process of deliverance in her new life. You too have the opportunity to have new life. You can be freed from whatever trap you might find yourself right now. It begins with believing that Jesus and His blood are for you. Faith leads to deliverance, which leads to redemption and having a story of redemption. So we go back again to the questions. What do you want? What do you want? You truly want freedom and deliverance in your life. Do you think God cares? I think the scriptures are clear that God is a caring God, a God who's interested in who you are as an individual. That every person sitting here today, he individually cares for you and he wants he wants redemption for you. He wants you to have a life that's free, an abundant life, a life where you're living freely in His grace and you're living freely because of the blood of Christ, His Son, that He was shed for you. We all have a unique story. Rahab's story is unique. Our stories are unique. All of us are trapped in our sin in some way, and we need deliverance. This deliverance comes as we put our faith in Christ. So again, I I want to ask you today, what do you want? If you're here and you've never begun this journey of faith and you've, maybe you've not heard that Jesus died for your sin, that his blood will cleanse you and and you're, you're trapped in your sin and you want freedom. It begins with faith. It begins just like Rahab said. It's simple. It's believing. It's saying, God, I believe in you. I believe you are offering a way out through your son, Jesus Christ. And it begins by making that that a statement in your life and believing in your heart. You know, I think so many times we can hear these stories and we can read these narratives about people like Rahab and we just can maybe somehow scan over them, and it doesn't make an impact. It's the same way that all those people in 
Jericho who heard the stories of God, it, it didn't touch their heart. It didn't, it didn't make an impact. I want to encourage you today. I want to challenge you today to listen to God's stories, to listen to God's voice with your heart. See, what was different about Rahab? is I believe what was different about her. She heard this story of God and she heard it with her heart. She maybe was a woman who was able to slow her life down enough. Maybe it was lonely evenings where she began to reflect. What's my life all about? What do I really want? What do I really want? And I believe she came to the conclusion, what I want is to be freed from this life that I'm living. And then she started hearing stories about this God who was about delivering people from their sin. And she began to believe. Because she heard it with her heart. She was drawn to it. Some of us are here today and we've begun this journey of faith. We've given our life to Christ and we started down this path. And yet, somehow along the way, Stuff has grabbed us and and we've gotten entangled in sin again and it could be an addiction. It could be simply something like maybe you struggle with anger rising up in you quickly when things don't work out. And I don't know what the issue is. But it's the same process that what you don't need is another strategy for how to fix something. What, What you do need is to put your faith, to believe truly in your heart that Jesus, the blood of Christ, can deliver you from whatever thing is entangling your life. It doesn't mean it's going to be like that. It doesn't happen necessarily immediately, but, and it didn't happen for Rahab immediately either. She had to wait for her deliverance for, as they camped out. We'll see, and it took them a while. We got to Joshua 6 before she's delivered. Same process in our lives many times, but the process is believing that Jesus died for you, that he cares for you, and he so badly wants to rescue you from whatever things you're trapped in. To believe and then to wait and to keep waiting on him. And then when the opportunity comes to take action, take that action. See, you can't deliver yourself. This isn't a self-help project. If you want freedom, if you want to be freed from the trap of sin in your life, it's going to come through the blood of Jesus. I want to ask you to bow your head and um, I'm going to spend some time praying here this morning.